instalment of A Link to the Cast. I'm Mark Robinson, and with me from across the pond, as always, is Dave Ryan. Hello, Dave. Good evening, Mark. And with me on this side of the pond is our first guest, and he's a very, very good friend of mine. You may have heard him on previous podcasts like Faces for Radio. Uh, he is Jack Lazell. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the show. Hi. I apologise for the unfortunate direction that it involves me. <laughs> <laughs> you you have a cause for being here that I feel is nothing but positive and can only contribute to the overall quality of this show. I uh, I appreciate your kind sentiments and I will leave that up to the discretion of the listeners slash viewers. Well, let's start off on uh, on a positive note. Dave, you're not dead this week. No, not dead this week. There's no, uh, there hasn't been health updates in quite some time. Although I think the uh, greatest dangers to my health in a while have taken place this week. Uh, I've been taking apart sheds out the back garden a lot of heavy and sharp things uh, at wood uh, so whereas it feels manly it's uh, it's been quite uh, hazardous but you uh, have counterbalanced that manliness by buying a cat yeah a tiny kitten a tiny kitten the tiny yeah, kitten was very very cute by the way and it, and it was it was adopted it wasn't it wasn't bought i don't oh, go in for your for okay. your store-bought shit mark oh yeah <laughs> is it purebred uh, i have no idea it's adorable oh. And his name is Hobbs. <laughs> adorable as a breed, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. To be honest, um, Dave, I uh, when Mark asked me to be on the show this week, and given the state you're in, the last time I saw you, I thought you were dead. Yeah, in fairness, I think the last time we spoke was uh, in between vomiting sessions at a pizza hut. That's correct. Yeah, that was a good time. What was yeah. good first, first impression, Dave? I, I, am, I am much improved uh, after that first impression. You're talking and, uh, for a start. Yeah, exactly. Talking, alive, uh, not throwing up. Uh, these all are all things I really enjoy not doing. Positive qualities I look for in a human being. Indeed, Mark, yes. Mark, you will have noticed, though, that instead of my first question being, is Dave okay, my answer was just, yeah, I'll be on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> I, I'd i like to think Mark might have mentioned it in passing if I died, so... I don't know, he doesn't talk about a lot of things. Here's how he told me he was moving to China... Hey, Jack, can I come over and use your scanner? Of course, mate. Why do you need to use it? I need a photocopy documents because I'm moving to China. <laughs> I killed two birds with one stone. I informed you of my situation and I asked to use your scanner. It was ripping the band-aid off very quickly, you know, rather than kind of sitting you down and getting you a nice cup of tea or something stronger. It's, to kind of, it's five fucking it months, straight, for mate. God's sake. I have friends that I see over that span of time. Look, you are leaving a mark-shaped hole in our lives, and you yeah. just gotta you just gotta live with that. Five you months is a long time. You could have half a baby in that time. I... <laughs> I'd like to have no baby of any description in that time. Jack, what have you been playing this week? What have I been playing this what? week? I'm gonna start with you. You're... I have been. Let's give me the litmus test. I nearly, I nearly got whiplash from that segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, once we've all recovered from that glorious segue, uh, I've been playing Rory McIlroy PGA Tour, formerly Tiger Woods PGA Tour, uh, before he basically shot his whole life to pieces and then they gave it to some fuzzy-haired Northern Irish bloke. Uh, I'm very underwhelmed, guys. Very underwhelmed. Are you underwhelmed, though, because it's an EA Sports game and they have been churning the same thing out for a number of years? Not that that's a bad thing too much, because like, the PGA games from the times I've played them have all been to a pretty high quality. Does it not maintain that level, or does it just does it feel like it's half of what it used to be? 
It's about a third of what it used to oh, be, really? actually. Yeah, um, the gameplay is fantastic. The graphics are excellent. There's, like, wildlife roaming the courses that are, like, uh, location-appropriate. So in Florida, you see, like, alligators roaming the courses. There's, like, a, a nice course up in uh, up in Washington where you see foxes roaming the courses. And you're like, oh, this is really cool. Problem is, there's, like, six courses in the game total. Wow. And the career mode means you play those same six courses over and over again, and it is utterly soul-destroying. Uh, yeah, there is no content in the game whatsoever. They have taken away a lot of the online options where you can do different versions of, of the golf games where you could play like, you know, like the horse version of golf or like the Stableton scoring version. It's just everything has just been taken away and if they made the exact same game this is the sad part and this is what ea have conditioned me to like guys ea have clearly broken my sense of decency if they made the exact same game as tiger woods pga tour 2013 or whatever the last one was and just made it for playstation 4 i would have loved it uh but they didn't you're part of the problem i am part of the problem and i appreciate that and you know what's not in it augusta and i'm sorry but if you don't have augusta in your game anymore then what the hell am i supposed to do it is insanely disappointing for me eh, that what they've churned out and they've been getting nothing but terrible reviews if you go on their facebook page every time they post something up like the first 60 to 70 comments are where's the rest of the game so hopefully they listen to people but i don't have high hopes mark what have you been playing this week oh, no I, I i don't want to just Whiplash strike, but this is not the Whiplash episode, all right? This is we're going to have some heavy conversation about this because I'm already expecting this show to go like four fucking hours. I'm, I'm um, okay, we'll be or, giant bomb. I'm then. starting to think you're the only one allowed to do these segues, Mark. You Damn just right, I run on this joint, all right? All right, I will not segue anything else. <laughs> I promise you. No, I I just want to ask though because I mean, I presume that um, each golf course like there's some sort of licensing deal and EA have to pay whatever rights to like actually use them so sure. I, I I would wonder whether it's just a case if they had however many years for a whole bunch of courses and then they just kind of lost them all at the same time and went fuck that we're not paying for all of them again and I imagine Augusta is like its own entity of some ridiculous price that they have to pay for because uh, I know that they use that as basically like a marketing gimmick for was it like 2012 or 2013 yeah it was 2012 it was basically tiger woods the masters and it wasn't up in the game it wasn't in the game sorry up to that point so i can kind of understand that if it costs a lot of money but for instance like there are two courses now that they're saying they're going to release in the next two months that's not a license uh, that's issue. bollocks that that is bollocks then so it's they're literally not. just they've taken held contact content back to put it out as DLC. Yeah. And, and they say it's know- paid DLC or free? Oh, it's free DLC. Oh, okay. Which I only think is free because of the horrifically flamey reactions from not just general users or players of the game, but critics as well have just torched it, who say exactly the same thing pretty much I'm saying, that it's great to play, but you're only going to play it for about half an hour before you get bored I mean, I know most people think golf is boring anyway, but if you're the sort of person that enjoys seeing that, in fact, former Manchester United defender and nutcase Rio Ferdinand actually stayed in the same position playing Tiger Woods so much uh, when it was on PlayStation 1 that he he did his knee in. Dave, as a Man U fan, you can corroborate this. I thought this was going to go in the direction of he he was playing it for so long that he missed a drug test. 
Um, <laughs> but yes, I seem to remember something of the like happening. Um, yeah, not the, not exactly the highlight of that man's career. No, not quite. But I mean, like that is how addictive it is. But even me, someone that loves the game, I just and, and like one of the course the course that they're giving out free came like if you pre-ordered it, it was a bonus course or something like that. So instantly they were holding content and. I know you guys probably think I'm more fashion, but the fact that you can now buy a game which is basically half finished, and then even if the DLC is free, just gets gradually drip fed. What if you don't have an internet connection? No, no, Jack, that that's not an old fashioned way of thinking. That is the general consensus across people who enjoy video games. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, good. we're we're all pretty sick of this crap. Like uh, even with the games we do, like like um, The Witcher. Uh, I have The Witcher 3, I'm kind of spending an unreasonable amount of time spending with, uh, playing Witcher 3, and then there are these big expansions and DLC coming out every week, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, there's going to be two sizable expansions, one at Christmas, one in May or something like that, and I'm like, that's pretty cool, but then at the same time, I'm kind of relatively privileged that I have a really, really fast internet connection. Like, um, there's a friend of mine who lives about 15 minutes away from me, and today when he went to download a game I'll be talking about in a few minutes, everybody's gone to the Rapture, a game that took me an hour to download. The estimated time for him is six days. Oh, my God. On a six-gig game. Oh. So, uh, like, it is not... You are not alone in feeling that, like, kind of... There are people getting screwed out of content by not having it on the disc from day one. Um, Well, that was, like, the big debate originally when... um... Microsoft announced to Xbox One that you would need to have a constant online connection. Yeah. And and that was the big thing that was like, okay, not everyone in Western the Western part of the world uh has an A an internet connection or B more likely a internet connection that can download shit at lightning fast speeds. Um and certainly as games no. get to like anywhere between twenty to fifty gigabytes in terms of how the size of it to download it, it's just it's not a reasonable and practical uh solution to a problem that doesn't really exist outside of the minds of game developers and publishers. Yeah, as well as that, um were you guys following the whole net neutrality thing in America last year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that companies in America we're going to limit your connection speed unless you paid for like a premium version of the internet. So you don't get the regular broadband. You would have to pay more for a faster version of the internet. And the internet that they were offering was going to be like one or two meg, which corroborates with your man Dave's uh, six day downloads for like six gigabits of data. So it was going to be like, not only were you having to pay more for a better internet connection, but you're paying more to download more content. And just in general, the whole hobby of gaming, which used to be, you know, not necessarily particularly expensive, but if you did whack out the money, you knew you were guaranteed that. Now you're having to pay for a whole bunch of optional extras like across a whole different variety of platforms or a whole network of different companies. And that kind of takes the joy out of it for me. But it's fine. You can go down to your local secondhand shop, buy GameCube and five games for 20 quid and have a good old time. So there's always options. Exactly. Exactly. Amen, brother. So moving on, um, I have played all the Rayman this week. All of the Rayman. Um, I had a relatively successful date last Monday, which was handy as I leave the country in under two fucking weeks. Um, but she was like, I want to play some Rayman. And I was like, cool, well, I'm onto a winner here. Uh, so I we went back because I have the original Rayman on my uh, PlayStation 3. 
because they have yet to make it feasible to download PlayStation games on the PS4, which is kind of annoying. Um, the original Rayman is... Well, actually, playing through the original Rayman, then playing through Rayman 2 The Great Escape, and going back to Rayman Origins and Legends, which are both fucking amazing games and everyone should play, there's this very interesting um, kind of parallel route I want to have between that and the Sonic series. Because they're both mascots icons of the 90s in terms of side-scrolling platforming. And it's sure. amazing that Rayman almost feels underappreciated still, um, because everyone still makes the big hoo-ha about Sonic, but there's not been a good Sonic game in God knows how long. But Rayman has consistently over the years been... I mean, there's never been a bad Rayman game. There's been okay ones, and then there was the whole uh, Raving Rabbids um, sort of side track that it went on for a little bit but like the original Rayman is an okay platform game but it's very colourful, very bright and it's a fun game to play. Um, Rayman 2 was a really it was a step up um, for kind of 3D platforming in general actually in terms of some of the stuff that it does and then Rayman Legends and Origins was kind of them looking at how people playing games and how side-scrolling platformers have come along and that kind of instant feedback of when you die you start level again um kind of taking a lot of actually the gameplay elements of stuff like trials and a lot of your kind of free-to-play uh, mobile games where you die but you start again straight away but still incorporating that wonderful level design the, the kind of just amazing art style that ubisoft can do um as fucking incredible soundtrack and just just really fun gameplay and then you just look at what sonic has been for the last God knows how long, and how they've consistently fucked it up on the f- um, move to the 3D environment, and then even when they went back to working on a 2D plane with Sonic 4, which to this day amazes me how they managed to fuck that up to the degree that they did. And then you just look at what Ubisoft did with the last two Rayman games, and I just I find it amazing that I. Mark, can I just posit a theory? Um, I think that. If you look at Sonic, it is very much the head of the Sega franchise, right? And a lot of uh, profits and people's jobs and company living and dying and margins depended solely upon the, the shoulders of Sonic at some points and, and its success. Whereas Rayman, as you say, has never quite had that mainstream breakthrough kind of game it's always been very good but it's flown under the radar and with ubisoft's attention focused very much in the likes of your assassin's creeds or your far cries or even like in the 2000s maybe the driver series or like tom clancy like they made a lot of money out of that because it's kind of always not been the priority if anything the people that are creative that have had the opportunity to make Rayman have perhaps not had as much interference from like money men suits or or people that would want to control the direction of the game because they know that the profits on it are very important to the company. It's a, it's a good shout. Can't really argue with that. Yeah, it's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to Thanks. be fair, like because the Ubisoft series, oh sorry, Ubisoft, um, most of the Rayman stuff has all come out of uh, their Montpellier. Um, subdivision uh, Montpellier and like you look at their track record they've got the whole entire Rayman series but then they've also got Beyond Good and Evil as well um, Zombie U which was like a pretty 
interesting approach to to the Wii U and a pretty kind of I enjoyed it as like a launch title for the Wii U, and is now being re-released on the other current gen consoles, just yeah. as Zombie. Um, so they, you know they've got a really really good track record, and it's just amazing that at this point Sega have just not. Well, I mean, obviously there is the Sonic team, but it's like how did they keep fucking it up? And I'm like, why don't you just give it to an independent? And I, people have said this, like just give it to like an independent studio who solely focus on kind of two D. Um, pixel sprite type stuff and just kind of let them see what they can do with it um, but yeah the, going back to my original point Rayman is is a really I still feel a really underappreciated series in uh, video games as a whole and uh, while the original is not as good as I thought it once was when I was a child definitely like if you've never played Origins or Legends you can pick them up pretty cheap now They're, you, there's a lot of fun to be had there Cool. I might check one out. Dave Ryan, what have you been playing? I've been playing a few things this week. Uh, firstly, was very excited this uh, past week because on the fourth rare replay finally dropped thirty rare games, none of them Goldeneye for thirty euro. Uh, the only one I've really played so far, like gone proper in deep with, is uh, Perfect Dark because Perfect Dark is a game that I replay every year too anyway. Um, and I'm kind of surprised uh, going through it. Firstly, how well they have, in that particular game anyway, they've mapped the N64 controllers to the Xbox One controller. Yeah, how have they uh, done I was that, surprised. They've literally done the standard FPS, right trigger is to shoot, uh, right bumper is to switch between primary and secondary fire. It's like it's just like you're like you're playing any other standard FPS in 2015. Um I didn't even have to look up the controls. I just started instinctively moving around, and it was grand. Um, the one thing I am surprised about was that I didn't think they were going to go see the games up nearly as much as they have. Like I had seen some of the preview images, and they've kind of um, some of the older games, like the the Battletoads and such, uh, are all kind of letterboxed because obviously they weren't made for the sixteen nine aspect ratio. So you've got to kind of fill in the borders with something. So they've done some cool original art and stuff like that. Um, that kind of fills in that area but I didn't think they were actually going to go into the games and kind of like polish them up real nice but Perfect Dark for a game that um, kind of like you play emulated versions on a PC or if you still have your N64 you crack that out and play a bit of Perfect Dark looks very much like a game from 99-2000 I think it was 2000 it came out um, looks like a game very much from that time but they have really really like polished things up uh, on Rare Replay considerably that it doesn't look kind of it could be kind of, I don't make a big show, but like a late PS2 era that they've gone that far ahead with um, kind of just making the textures that bit smoother. Like you still have the old kind of um, issue of the faces don't move when the, uh, people are saying things. They're just kind of very staticky there. But we had that, we were talking about that with Max Payne uh, the other week as well. So that was a problem up through the PS2 as well. Um, and there's only so much you can do with those kind of the, the N64 assets. Um what else have they done? The only uh, the only thing that they have done that I'm not really liking so far is some of the light sources cause weird kind of lens flares as I'm running around. So things go from very bright to very dark all of a sudden in certain levels. JJ um, Abrams involved? He may well be. He may well be. <laughs> um, but like overall, like for a game that I really liked, and if they'd fucked it up, I would have been really angry. I'm very, very, very happy with it. Uh, I'm just kind of like when I turn on the Xbox, the instinct is not to go towards any of the new Xbox games, like the 
um, the Sunset Overdrives of the world at the moment, even though I really love Sunset Overdrive, it's to fire up a bit of Perfect Dark and play that, because now I can play it without having to get it like a smaller TV and plug in the SCART or anything like that. Uh, to plug in the N64, I just have my uh, Xbox hooked up to the big TV here and can just play away like that. So it's great. Um, Banjo look, uh, Banjo Kazooie which I've played a tiny little bit of um, maybe all of about 20 minutes uh, it, ha- it hasn't been made to look quite as pretty as Perfect Dark but it still looks a bit better like it's not um, the one thing uh, throughout both the games that I'm kind of um, the impression I'm getting is that this was very much kind of like a, a passion project because I think they were saying it on the Bombcast this week as well it's like they had no there was no way was this going to be a system seller. This wasn't going to be a massive kind of like, oh, rare or back, you know, a huge seller, anything like that. But what it was was a labor of love, going back and kind of looking at the history of a company and kind of making things look as presentable as possible uh, on the Xbox One without devoting, obviously, millions and millions to completely rebuilding the games from scratch. So very happy with that. I think for anyone who is a rare fan who either doesn't have a lot of those games or wants to revisit those games in a kind of uh, slightly shinier format. Um, And if you're one of the uh, 10% of the market in Europe at the moment that have an Xbox One, because uh, a report this week uh, suggested PS4 has a 90% market share here. Oh my God. Um, If you're one of the 10% and you're looking for something to play before Gears or Halo come out, well, then this is probably the game for you. Because uh, if you have any sort of kind of reverence for any sort of rare product which most people in or around our age uh, do uh, definitely pick it up uh, nostalgia sells though right i mean oh absolutely well, you've, you've got to look at wii u uh they held fast on not putting n64 games up for the longest time and when smash bros didn't do quite as well as perhaps they thought and then they realized there was a big gap before zelda came out that was when the n64 games started getting uploaded yeah i'll get I'll, I'll give you a quality example of how uh precise that planning was right they put that they put up uh, a couple of games i bought donkey kong 64 not only do i already own donkey kong 64 on n64 but i don't like donkey kong on n64 <laughs> <laughs> and I still fucking bought it <laughs> because I was like ooh I get to play an N64 game on my Wii U because again using the logic of oh it's connected via HDMI to my big screen rather than having to either connect the N64 to the big screen and have the kind of the image all distorted or do something like get out a smaller older TV or anything like that it's like oh I can play it on the Wii U and then kind of five minutes into the DK rap which seems to go on for about half an hour um <laughs> You're just like, why the fuck did I buy this? I could have thrown a tenner out the window and it would have been better spent. They have actually but... broken me because I. Uh, this is the first time that they've released Ocarina of Time in some fashion and I've not bought it. I've finally reached my limit of oh my about God. eight versions of that game in. I'm like, okay, I'm good. Uh, I think that's solely down to... <clears throat> Having played the 3DS remaster of it, that there is no need to buy another version now. I've, I've got my complete... At the same time, Mark, game. if they do a version of a Jorah's Mask that works on a big screen with the Wii U, that's a different story. Yeah, <laughs> because I've much. only ever bought that like uh, I think. Well, Twice? I did buy the Wii version, and I do have my original oh. version, and obviously got the remastered version. But yes, if I can play it, and it's, it's all not, wonderful. It, it's and, it's yeah. not that you're principled; it's that they're not asking the right questions yet. This is true. This is yeah. true. Uh, anyway, to kind of uh, move on to some of the other stuff uh, I played, uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous, uh, one night last week I was sitting around at the PlayStation store, just digging around, seeing what was out, kind of what pre-orders are open, stuff like that, as I want to do, 
And I sent Mark a text, basically to talk me down. I said, Mark, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Hatoful Boyfriend and I'm trying not to buy it. And you weren't there for me, Mark. In my, <laughs> moment, in, in my moment of need, instead of saving me, you pushed me off the fucking cliff. And now, if uh, kind of the NSA are spying in on my stuff at any point, if I if I decide to move Amer- to America or anything like that, it is on my record that at one point in my life I bought a pigeon dating simulator. And I hope you're okay sleeping at night, knowing that you forced me to do that, Mark. Believe me, if I had been there, I would have been pushing you off the cliff with a running dropkick. So, Hatoful Boyfriend is a game. Like I said, it's a it's it purports to be the world's first pigeon dating simulator, and I have no problem believing that's true. I don't need to fact check it. At least, I hope I don't. I have one word. Japan. Yes. A lot of this is, you know, hashtag cause Japan. Um, it is... I've, I I don't even know where to start. It's not even just a pigeon dating simulator. It's an interspecies pigeon dating simulator because you oh. play the only human being at a school full of pigeons, which everybody is fine with, by the way. No one ever has any problem with one, that you're a human being in a school full of pigeons, or two, that schools full of pigeons are, thi- are a thing. No one has <laughs> is, any problem with that sort. Is that like kind of like a metaphor for society that even if you are a human in a field of pigeons you should still be accepted (laughs) it is yeah it's making a massive kind of meta uh, criticism on equality in contemporary society maybe i've been looking at it the wrong way may there's so much more you need to be reading into this so i'm halfway through my first term at what i believe is pronounced saint pigeonations school (laughs) (laughs) okay sold there is not so much terrible puns in this game as there is one terrible pun beating you across the face over and over and over and over and over again. Now, unfortunately, the stream I did, which you can find on our YouTube page and linked on our Facebook, uh, my mic, I had been testing out this new mic that I'm using, and it was too low at the time, so you can't hear my live reactions, but they use the pun any time anyone says everybody, which is surprisingly frequently in this game, they replace it with every birdie. Now... The first time I giggled, it was funny. Look, they're going to do bird puns. Okay, I'm on board. I appreciate a pun, however bad. But then after about the 35th time in the half hour I was playing it that they used the every birdie pun, uh, I wanted to throw the PS4 out the fucking window. (laughs) There isn't a lot of interaction with the game, short of uh, pressing X to go to the next uh, page of dialogue. Um... I spent, I think, about 10 minutes of just hitting X over and over again, reading through the stuff before I actually got to something I have to do. And there's no kind of like, you don't move around the world or anything like that. You more kind of make a series of choices. I assume other dating simulators are like this. I don't fucking know. But you get to choose kind of uh, which romantic options you're pursuing. At least at this point, that's what I assume I'm choosing. They're not very open about what you're doing. So you get to choose, oh, which elective class do you want to take? Because one of the men you're supposed to be pursuing is in each of these classes. So because there's kind of a boring person, an uppity aristocrat bird, and um, another crazy, crazy bird, I went to compete on the pigeon track team. Which is, again, a thing. And no That's one has a great honour. And uh, so I'll, I'll be giving more updates as the week goes on. I think I'm going to do another uh, stream with uh, the volume actually working to capture my live reactions because it was just half an hour of me screaming at the TV. 
the first time, not knowing what the fuck was going on. So, do you um, have any kind of idea of what the actual end goal of the game is? Um, I All I know is that I'm, I'm assuming I'm supposed to try and pick one of these pigeons and pursue a relationship with them, which is... Because <laughs> Japan. Because <laughs> Japan, yes. In addition to this... Uh, from... Dave, can I just ask a question? Yes, Jack. <laughs> and, and, and believe me, this, this is a serious question. <laughs> if there was some sort of horrific nuclear winter which wiped out the entire human race except you and every single pigeon left on the planet, how long is it before you would pursue a relationship with a pigeon? <laughs> At this point, I would kill every last one of them and just enjoy the silence. <laughs> but um, I, the end game—the end game—I presume it's to end up happily ever after with a pigeon. Which, again, very strange sentence. But uh, from perusing uh, the screenshots, the preview screenshots on the PlayStation Store, it seems to get very, very strange after a while, as if it wasn't strange already. Uh, there's one screenshot that just has a picture and dialogue underneath that reads, and so the world was engulfed in pudding. <laughs> Which, look, I'm not going to be ashamed about it. That was the screenshot that sold me on it. Because yeah. I was like, I was not expecting that. I was expecting a thousand things when I went through these screenshots, and that was not one of them. So that was the kind of thing that finally pushed me off the ledge. That's but, very Monty Python-esque as a statement. It, yeah, which is a great way to sell me on things. I just, yeah, I cool. love the fact that this is a PS4 game. Yeah, PS4, seven ninety nine or something like that. Um, I yeah. love how far we've come along in technology, and it's like the old age so, of saying so, that. So far, we've come in a technology that I'm sitting playing pigeon dating simulators that are available on a console in 2015, and a successful end to a date night for you is Rayman. Well, yeah, I. Hey. <laughs> But 2015, I, I think the nerds are in me. charge and it's a weird new world. It, but it's... Hey, Mark didn't say that was the end. That's all I'm telling you. True, yeah. Um, I just like the fact that it's that kind of age of saying that regardless of how far we come with technology, people will always want to draw penises on stuff. And it's like, it doesn't matter how far we come along with technology, people will want to make just utter nonsense like this. Is and that why like Adam that. Sandler still makes movies? And Adam I... Sandler still makes movies, yeah. That's an entirely different podcast. We we put that on the list for a link to the box office, Mark. Yes. <laughs> the Adam Sandler conundrum. I can't say I want to see that film anytime soon. Ooh. Uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous and back to the sublime again, the last game, the new last new game I've been playing this week is a game I've been looking forward to for a while and I've mentioned a few times on the podcast that just came out today on the 11th. Uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which is a PS4 exclusive from the Chinese room who are the minds behind Dear Esther and I believe uh, Amnesia, Machine for Pigs. Um, I think I heard Jim Sterling mention that they were involved in that. Uh, So what is the game? The world ends somehow and you are the only person wandering around a small village in Shropshire. And you don't have to date pigeons in this one. No, you don't have to date pigeons. Well, not yet, anyway. Look, I'm only about an hour in. Let's leave our options open. We don't know what's going to happen. But I haven't seen any pigeons left. Haven't seen anything. It's a nice. Literally out. I couldn't. (laughs) Like, I. Fuck this. (laughs) Jack only accepts pigeon related games now. No, the world's changed, mate. I've I've embraced (laughs) this new dawn which you have thrust upon us. And I have already started looking at pigeons. I'm trying to figure out which one I should date. Which one of these pigeons do you think likes Radiohead? And cuddling. Well, you got to find out. You got to bring them for a drink. You got to, you know, you got to get to know your pigeon. 
Yeah. As I the reckon Mark expert on the podcast. Yeah, I reckon Mark could be good at the game. He's always had his way. Everybody's gone to Rapture, keep talking. Okay. <laughs> so the world ends, and you're wandering around uh, a small village in Shropshire, and you basically have to figure out what happened. You explore the kind of the narrative of what's happened through um, kind of six different people and their experiences leading up to the what is referred to so far in the game as the event, big air quotes. Um, the One of the ways I described it, I did a stream today, which is up on our YouTube channel. Um, one of the ways I described it is like, imagine if either one worked. Um, you walk around the world alone. There's no enemies to destroy, nothing like that. It might be very harshly described as a walking simulator because there is the only controls you have are to walk or to jog and to kind of hit X to interact with things. Um, as you're walking along, you'll see these lights in the sky that you follow. Well, not in the sky, but kind of suspended. They start kind of going down the street. You follow them to where they stop and kind of um, in a rare, interesting use of the six-axis technology, you kind of tilt the controls to get the light into a right place and it kind of, the light starts to form the silhouettes of the people that you're kind of exploring the narrative of and a little scene plays out that kind of gives you a hint as to where you need to head next to kind of uh, delve deeper into the mystery. Mm. Only played about 45 minutes to an hour of it today uh, when we were on the stream because I knew we were doing this podcast this evening. Want to dive kind of uh, more substantially into it and do a bit of a review for the website, I think. But um, so far... uh, absolutely engrossing uh, about 50 percent of how amazing it is is down to this amazing score that's in the game that really uh sets the tone sets the atmosphere for the whole game um if you have some sort of gaming headset or anything like that i would suggest kind of putting that on bumping the volume up really engross yourself in the experience um thankfully unlike when i tried to play the vanishing of Eden carter the first time the playstation did not melt down and shut itself off when i tried to play it it is an astoundingly pretty game um, just walking around and all the textures look fantastic um, one of the things that uh, IGN gave it an 8.2 or something like that and the only criticism they leveled at it at the time was that there was no way to move around quickly because as you go on and you're uncovering more things there's a bit of tracking back to be done and if you have to walk everywhere it's kind of slow and plodding but uh, the Chinese rooms uh, they went online today on their blog and kind of went yeah that's our mistake we fucked up there actually is a sprint button we just didn't put it in the um kind of like the little diagram on the pause menu for the controls because we fucked up that was from an earlier build of the game so just for anyone that's going to play the game hold down r2 for a couple of seconds and you start building up momentum and break into a bit of a run so you can move around a bit quicker um i don't know this far in if there's much more i can say um about it just that it's really good, really engrossing, and I'm already kind of itching to get back to play it as soon as we finish this. So that's really the mark of a good game for me, is that even when I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about playing it. It sounds great. It it kind of sounds like a cross between uh, Journey and the first half of I Am Legend, before you see the weird zombie creatures. Before it gets shit, you mean? Yeah, that's correct. Before yeah, pretty much. Shit. Yeah, um... Mark will attest to the fact that uh, I have a running theme on the podcast of liking weird kind of arty games that aren't the uh, usual fare uh, because I've kind of gotten... I think my theory last week was that the Order 1886 broke me and now I want weird (laughs) kind of unusual experiences. Hence probably pigeon dating simulators. But uh, yeah, it is like... It's all about... If you are someone who... Like you're into your kind of uh, your Twitch shooters or your kind of your skill-based platformers or anything like that and that's what you look for from a game probably not the game for you but if you're more into kind of the atmosphere the story that's being trying to 
that's trying to be told in front of you and kind of to be very pretentious for a second games as art uh, of course this is the kind of game for you like you said if you're a journey player if you were an ether one player if you pers- if you persisted through that boogie mess like i did um if you like any sort of game like that gone home as well i've heard it compared to quite a bit um if these are the kind of games that are up your street then it's something you should definitely buy it's only about i think 12 euro i don't know what it is on the uk store it's only about 12 euro over here yeah probably um so it's you know you're not losing out on an awful lot by just taking a punt on it and seeing if you enjoy it um you are going to there are worse ways to spend an evening apparently the campaign if you just breeze through everything is only about four to six hours long so for a tenner that's pretty good value um and then there are kind of there are more kind of off the beaten track things to do to kind of get your i think there's a platinum trophy for the game but uh, i i'm not sure on that the trophy list wasn't live as of yesterday so i'll have to double check on that but yeah very good game uh worth checking out Cool. Shall we uh, head into the news for this week then? Let Let's head into the news scoops, and I am going to fucking breeze through these because most of them, there's not really much you can say about them. Um, going through some of these quite fast. If you have anything to say, please interject. Um, so the first is Bungie explains why they ditch Peter Dinklage. Uh, when Destiny came out last year. One of the things, uh, well, when the Destiny beta came out last year, one of the things people gave out about the most was that Peter Dinklage, uh, regarded as a brilliant actor in Game of Thrones as Tyrion Lannister, uh, was quite wooden and uh, almost completely absent in his performance in Destiny. Um, Some of his performance capture was uh, patched out for the actual finished version of Destiny, and now they've gone all the way to just getting rid of Peter Dinklage from the game altogether. Uh, the reason cited this week, they've replaced his voiceover with Nolan North in uh, new versions of the game. Uh, the reason that they've uh, cited for that is, quote-unquote, Hollywood nonsense. Basically, because if you call up Peter Dinklage and try to get him to record new voiceover for your new DLC or whatever, uh, he's not available. He's quite busy. He's an in-demand actor. Game of Thrones shoots for about half the year, and they're presumably about to go into pre-production on that. Uh, so it's harder to get a hold of him to record lines of dialogue, whereas they were trying to explain that Nolan North for what we do for kind of voiceover for games he understands it more because obviously Nolan North has done quite a few games in his time so if you call Nolan North say we need you to do X, Y and Z do all these lines of dialogue for us he's like yeah sure and the voiceover as soon as possible Um, so it's kind of they've gotten what they've wanted in as much as they've managed to excuse Peter Dinklage's terrible performance out of the game which was kind of one of the main but not the only punch lines about Destiny uh, and they've replaced it with uh, kind of a guy who is more than experienced at voiceover, but you still couldn't even pay me to play Destiny. Yeah, I have a copy of it. <laughs> I haven't played it yet. Yeah, I played it for about a weekend and traded it back in. And I was like, yeah, yeah. This, was, this was a bad decision. I've, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I've never played Destiny. I don't care. Peter uh, Dinklage is fantastic in Game of Thrones. I couldn't is. recommend it highly enough. Is it possible that the dialogue was so wooden that when he read it, he was just like, oh my God. Because even George Lucas made Ewan McGregor look like a bad actor in the uh, trilogy prequels of Star Wars with some just horrendous dialogue. Uh, that That is a distinct possibility considering like how uh, some of the criticisms level at Destiny is that it's a completely empty attempt at a game. That looks like kind of they built a shell to fill with DLC. 
there wasn't really much of a game to speak of when it came out, and they're slowly adding bits and pieces to it now, where I think uh, maybe it was Giant Bombcast, maybe it was Podcast Beyond, some podcast I listened to, said about a month ago, bearing in mind that this is about a year since the game came out, that it's finally worth picking up after all this time. Uh, so, and would you have to pay for all those things that would make it worth picking up? Yeah, you would. Uh, now, you can get uh, boxed versions of the game that have the first couple of expansions in them now at this point, replacing the kind of the bare-bones version of the game that you used to be able to pick up in stores. But still, as new things come out, you're going to have to pay for like a new season pass or the new DLC, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, so, moving on to the next one... Um, PS Plus price is going to go up in the UK and Europe. Fear not for the sensible spenders among you who get an annual PS Plus subscription like I do. Uh, this is only for the one and three month uh, subscription. So just to right. read from IGN. Um, as it currently stands, one month of PlayStation Plus costs £5.49 sterling, while three months will set you back £11.99. It is yet to be confirmed what the new price will be, but Sony has promised an annual subscription will remain unchanged at sterling. It is unfortunate they have announced that during the month of what I can only describe as the weakest lineup in some time. Indeed, yeah, it's uh, it's not a great time to, but at the same time, like if you have a PS4 or a Vita or anything like that, you really should be looking at that year-long subscription. Um, It's one of those things where I know some people don't have 50 euro or 40 pounds to spare to do it, but like if you're going to dabble in the PS Plus kind of uh, environment, I would strongly recommend doing everything you can to save up the money and buy the year, just for the money you save and for the fact that you don't have to worry about it for another year once you pay for it. Um, it's it's really the way to go with these subscription services as well, because then like one month where you don't have the money on your card or however whatever way you pay it, that could be the month where something really good comes out and you're going to miss it because you didn't have the forethought to buy kind of an annual uh, subscription. Financial what? advice with Dave Ryan. Indeed. £40 a That's... night out anyway, isn't it? Like, it's a meal and a few beers. So think about how many nights in you're going to spend with your PlayStation versus missing one night out. No exactly. brainer. Think, think of how many nights Mark has wasted on Rocket League instead of socialising. And that's that, he's saved £40 at least there. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Clearly the fact that he didn't answer Silence. that with real human words just shows that. I was trying to find the words to describe my appreciation for Rocket League and I couldn't find them. You had to okay. hit pause on Rocket League to tell us to fuck off. That as well, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even know he's having this conversation. <laughs> and, hey, Rocket League is really good, alright? It is, in fairness. It looks uh, cool as fuck. In relation to uh, PS Plus, and this is kind of breaking news, we got some uh, roasting hot fresh scoops here on the podcast. Uh, Starting next month, you're going to be able to vote for one of your PS Plus games. Um, They're going to give an option of three games, and you will vote on which one you want for free as part of PS Plus. Uh, The other two won't be completely discarded. They'll be offered at discounted prices rather than free. Uh, The three options, I'm not going to really get into them. Uh, The three options for September's game are... Armello, which is an RPG, uh, Zombie Vikings, which I don't know anything about, and what should be the winner because I've seen some let's plays of it and it sounds cool. Grow Home. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool that we get a bit more kind of uh, democracy about how we, um, what games we want to get for free every month. Oh, the Homer Simpson part of my brain uh, says Zombie Vikings all day long. <laughs> <laughs> that speaks to you on some sort of uh, primal level. Zombie yeah, exactly. Vikings. Can we um, actually, one of these days, one of these days, will we get a game that is just called Man Gets Hit With 
ball in the groin. Man getting hit by football. Yeah. I would be surprised if that's not already a flash game. It probably is. I would is. really be surprised. Um, right, a uh, couple of quick uh, Microsoft notes. Uh, Xbox One backwards compatibility is coming in November. Good. Uh, people, people on the Xbox preview program are already getting it for free and have enjoyed, according to Microsoft, up to 83 Xbox 360 games uh, on their Xbox Ones uh, during this trial period. So that oh, arrives in November go. 2015. It's going to be free for all Xbox One owners. Obviously, you're going to have to have the Xbox 360 disc to put it in to make sure that they know that you're the owner of the game, yada, yada 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 but uh that's cool i think we said it on our um e3 review podcast that uh, backwards compatibility is a real no-brainer for a lot of these things like people who want to go back and play older games the only thing it does is it stops people making a quick book on an hd remaster which you know boo-hoo yeah i i, I this is actually like a really big deal um because I'm still there's a number of games from the last generation that I've just I've never got around to playing, and I mean I still have my PS3, but it's a bit of a fucking mess for a lot of games that were on both PS3 and Xbox 360, and actually to be fair, a number of games that were just on PS3. Um, so this is a really uh, this is a solid step forward for Xbox One, and they are yeah. Microsoft are starting to get their shit together. It's taken them a yeah. while, but they're getting there. Xbox One had to do something to make uh, it look like an appealing console to buy. Um, and Lord knows they don't have any fucking games yet. Yeah. So uh, they had to do something. So rather than give you new games, here, have an easy way to play the old games. Like they did a promotion with uh, Gears of War. So if you get um, the Gears of War Ultimate Edition, the remaster of the first game that comes out, um, which is only uh, 40 euro. It's a reduced price. It's not a, they're not asking you the full 60 euro, 70 euro for it. Um, the first two weeks or so of release, uh, you get a free download for the HD version of Gears 2 and 3, even if you didn't own it on Xbox 360, which is pretty cool, because uh, I've never played that trilogy, and now for uh, about half the price of a brand new game, I'm going to get uh, three uh, games that I've been told I should really check out. Just to make you feel like a real man. Yeah, exactly. Real game for real man. What I um, find odd about it is that did they just, when they built the system... Did they just include the option for backwards compatibility at some point just as a press here in case of emergency button? Like if say the say the the market share was the other way around, Xbox uh one ninety PS four ten, would would we be not seeing this, do you think? Well, this is the um this is the thing that um it doesn't seem to be a thing that was necessarily built into the system from day one because that was a criticism level of it. But as far as I understand, the way it works is you put the Xbox 360 disc in. The Xbox One is able to read the disc because it's the same format of disc that the Xbox uh, that goes into the Xbox One that went into the 360. So it's able to read the disc and tell you what's on it, even though it's not able to play that old game. But what it is able to do is then send some sort of um, kind of, you know, okay, this person owns, say, Gears of War 2. It's able to send that to the Xbox Store and then you get a free download of the HD version or the kind of the Xbox One compatible version of the game. Uh, okay. the, only thing, the only thing I'm unsure of is whether after that point, once you've downloaded it, you need to have the disc in anymore. I haven't seen anywhere where that's specifically said uh, you do or don't. Uh, it seems to me that if you don't, that's the used games market completely killed stone fucking dead. Uh, because people can just uh, pick up cheap 360 games, put them into the machine, get the free game, and then just return it. Uh, yeah, good point. Some sort of uh, there's some sort of thing stopping that, unless finally console manufacturers are 
actively trying to kill the fucking used games market. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see when November comes because I have an Xbox One sitting here and I'm certainly going to try it out and see what happens. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be kind of more news on what games are compatible and what aren't uh, come closer to November. Um, cool. So since the last podcast, uh, Gamescom happened and uh, Sony just didn't fucking show up. So there's nothing to report about Sony really, uh, but there's a lot to report about uh, Microsoft. They had a conference, they uh, unveiled some things. I'm just going to run through the list here because there, we could spend 10 minutes talking about each one, but there's no fucking point. Uh, <laughs> our, there was a first look at Quantum Break, which is coming next year and kind of looks shit. Uh, Crackdown 3's element, environments are going to be 100% destructible. Uh, Ark Survival Evolved will be playable on Xbox One in the winter of this year. The newest addition to the Killer Instinct roster are the Battletoads. Scalebound will have four-player co-op. New map for Halo 5 announced. Coliseum, who gives a fuck? New Halo Wars 2, because why the hell not? On the way from the Total War developer. Uh, get a free copy of Just Cause 2 when you buy Just Cause 3 on Xbox One. That's pretty cool. Uh, Castlevania spiritual successor Bloodstained will include cross-play between Xbox One and Windows 10 for people who... I, I, that feature even I have Windows 10 and an Xbox One and that feature of streaming things across to my laptop from the Xbox One does not appeal to me at all but hey fuck there you go um, FIFA 16 is getting a great Xbox One bundle in the EU which is cool um, because FIFA 16 is a big seller so if you can tie that kind of identity to the Xbox One maybe you can trick people into buying it before they realize that only 10% of the market in Europe have it uh, Xbox One backwards compatibility, like I said, will start this November, and DVR TV functionality comes next year. Um, they talked a bit about the Halo One terabyte special edition of the Xbox One. Um, from this point on, so from last week on, all future Xbox 360 games with gold titles will be backwards compatible on Xbox One, which is awesome because that means that you've basically twice as many games available on your games for gold if you only have Xbox One. Uh, the Halo 5 Guardians Xbox One controller is available pre-order right now. Uh, again, who gives a shit? So that's basically it. They announced uh, it's better than Sony, who just didn't bother showing up. Sony's like that cool kid who's like, no, nah, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna skirt that party. I don't need to do it anymore. What, what's the point? They're I already like, have a hot girlfriend and loads of money, so I don't give a shit about Gamescom. Yeah, Fuck your Gamescom. Guy- you know, they're the team that are already six or seven nil up and just sub on the uh, under-21 players and just start passing around the ball around the back four because they don't give a shit uh, because they know there's no way are they going to be caught at this point. Um, yeah. You said a lot of stuff there, but I heard Battletoads. Yeah, Battletoads uh, coming as part of Killer Instinct as characters. But, uh, yeah, what can you do? <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I really I can't even I can't even begin to pretend to care about that. I'm sorry. Battle yeah, I, that, that was kind of my thoughts for just about everything you said there in general. Yeah, but the just zombie Vikings cool. and Battletoads are my two favourite things that have been said so far. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the fucking Battletoads is. Uh, it's a very, very difficult game for the NES. Yeah. I see. Right, um, so uh, a bit of good news because I realise where... But uh, really quick, a bit of good news. Naughty Dog has tried to stake a claim that uh, developers aren't all necessarily evil. So a man on Reddit uh, posted about uh, sending a letter, or you know, he posted about how playing game uh, Naughty Dog games like Crash Team Racing with his dad when he was terminally ill uh, really helped him, helped them bond, and is a nice memory of his now departed father. And 
what happened was Naughty Dog then got back in touch, sent a really, really nice letter about how kind of um, their touch that he enjoyed their games and himself and his father could enjoy that bond over video games and stuff like that. And then sent a, a massive box full of like limited art prints, the soundtrack for The Last of Us, all sorts of really cool stuff that they probably had lying around the office. But again, it's not something that they ever had to fucking reply to or anything like that. They were under no compulsion to reply to this guy. I just thought that was a really nice thing to throw in. Naughty Dog are kind of, they're not your average um, studio. They've got PR in just about all the right places at the moment. Um, they're probably, yep. uh, as with a green light shining upon development studios, they're about as green as possibly can be lit on at the moment. Do you know what? I feel like you guys should make this a regular segment where you say games developers aren't all that bad, dot, 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 and then highlight something nice that a game studio has done for someone on a podcast basis. To be honest, it's quite hard to find that a lot of the time. It's it's yeah. quite rare, but something I am thinking about making a feature of to segue excellently into our next story is I, I, I'd like you gentlemen to follow me over into a place that I am going to now call Konami Corner. <laughs> <laughs> because it feels like every fucking week there's something new last week I described Konami as a garbage truck on fire speeding towards a cliff I think I was being <laughs> kind uh, when I said that in shall we please <laughs> let's do this so a report from uh, a report from the Nikkei came out uh, in Japan this week about the near Orwellian uh, state that the employees at the former uh, Kojima Productions uh, within Konami have to kind of work under uh, things like their lunch breaks being strictly monitored, being handed uh, email addresses from the company that reduced them to a number rather than a name, um, monitoring what Facebook posts they're liking, things like that. Um, the idea that Kojima Productions, which are still doing some work to make sure that the game is ready for September 1st, or perhaps to, to finish off the online, uh, the Metal Gear Online features. Or just to remove um, any name thing with uh, Kojima in it. Well, this is it now. They have actually removed Kojima from their own name. They are now, uh, they're no longer Kojima Productions. I think there's something like Studio 8, yeah. or something really bleak and generic like that. <sighs> That ties uh, in with the number theme you were mentioning about the email addresses. Yeah, indeed, yeah. So Could you be like... 8 at studio8.com? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting a bit Patrick McGoohan up in here. Yeah, be it's... A big white... Are there big white orbs following them around the halls? Do they have Kijima barcodes on their arms? It's like kind of... It's like old kind of uh, Soviet photography of Stalin where they... Very early uh, examples of photoshopping where they tried to photoshop uh, Leon Trotsky out of everything to pretend that Leon Trotsky never lived. Um, They're just (laughs) making sure that by September 2nd they are going to act like they had never even heard of Hideo Kojima. Uh, Scrubbing him from everywhere, making sure his staff... I don't know what the fuck they're going to be doing on their lunch break that somehow supports some sort of revolution or what the hell they're afraid of but you know there you go somewhere Um, in some alternative reality Hulk Hogan and Hideo Kojima are enjoying a beverage together (laughs) (laughs) I think Hideo Kojima should start his own game company and make like get or sear molid and and just go from there well this is the thing like as of September 2nd when presumably like on September 1st they're going to go yeah he's done with us goodbye we're never going to mention him again uh, pretty much any studio from around the world or anybody with fucking sense is going to offer that man a blank check and say start your own studio with however many people you want make games for us um, 
and like it'd be. I, you know what? I feel that could be quite dangerous. Um, <laughs> Possibly. I think. I think for reasons you may get on to later. Yeah, all I'm going to say is he is a man that while he has a, he's kind of like the Vince Russo, if you will. You know he. <laughs> I've got a better uh, analogy for later. Yeah, by the you've way. got to put that man under a filter to some degree. I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah, yeah. I know. I see what you mean. But again, I'm I, like I'm curious to see what he does. With that said, like, say, I would like Shido uh, to give him a blank check just to see what the fuck he would actually come exactly. up with. Exactly. Exactly. The curiosity value alone should really make you want to support this idea. Um, right. Moving on. For, we're still in Konami Corner, by the way. Still in Konami Corner. Um, you got Mark. four minutes. Yeah, Mark. Guess what? This is where you guess, Mark. No, I was just going to leave you hanging. Oh, fair enough. There's a... But it's a pachinko machine. Uh, yeah, there there <laughs> is, in fact, a Silent Hill pachinko machine. Um, well, to be fair, like pachinko machines are still very popular in Japan. Um, and I, actually, I, I know somewhere I did read up about the... Um, kind of industry with pachinko machines and it's you know it's it far outdoes video games and uh, yeah. to some degree this, this is true but at the same time it's more than a little bit frustrating to go no no we don't want to iterate and pay new Silent Hill games but we definitely want to wring the corpse dry of any drop of blood it might still have yeah but they've been doing that for about 15 years so I'm kind yeah. of over that uh, my only kind of editorial comment on that is just fuck Konami um, <laughs> and uh, to finish off in Konami Corner for this week, in spite of all the horrible things that are happening there and all of the horrible things we may say, like fuck Konami, profits for Konami are up 159%. Oh my god. Because of mobile games. Yay! And pachinko machines. Yeah. So. You mean it's not because are telling- of all those people buying international track and field off the, the PlayStation store? I, I was as shocked as you were to learn that was not the case. <laughs> I'm gutted. I've bought several copies of it, let don't get me wrong, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to equate to uh, 150 odd million. Yeah, a nice message being sent by the consumer there that uh, no matter how badly you're treating your employees, uh, no matter uh, we'll reward you with more money than you had this time last year. Hey, look, not to get all ethical, but we buy clothes from China and Taiwan that were clearly made by a four-year-old child, so... But you can make a difference. Look at the documentary Blackfish and look what it's done to SeaWorld. SeaWorld's profits are down like 84% or something. Look, you say it was Blackfish that did that. I say it was Steve-O. <laughs> Maybe Steve-O needs to climb a big tower outside Konami and unfurl a clever banner that says Konami sucks and then no one will go and buy games yeah, from there anymore. Maybe he needs to like dress up as Big Boss and get into a giant cannon and fire himself into Konami's offices or something like that. Uh, maybe he genuinely needs to build a Metal Gear Rex and just fucking level the place. Maybe and he then needs pop to out the top and go, yeah, dude. <laughs> Can we elect him as our new president of the world? Sure, why not? Better than Donald <laughs> Trump. <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> amen to that. Uh, okay, yeah, I fuck Konami. I don't really feel there's um, a lot more that needs to be added to to any of that. Uh, uh, with that, I guess we should move on to our link to the cast book club for the week. And uh, this week, uh, Dave Ryan has picked. Are we just going with just the original, the PlayStation? Are we going to talk about it yes. as a whole? 
just yeah, well, the, the the conversation may may branch out a little bit, but uh, it it's it's stem. It's it, it's it's rooted. based in the yes, it's rooted. That's the word I was looking for. Rooted in the PS One Metal Gear Solid. Solid was a game released for the PlayStation 1 in 1998. The game was directed, produced, and co-written by Hideo Kojima and served as a sequel to the MSX2 versions of Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, which were also directed by Kojima. The story is set in 2005, six years after the events of Metal Gear 2. A genetically enhanced renegade special forces unit, Foxhound, leads an armed uprising on a remote island in Alaska's Fox Archipelago. The island, codenamed Shadow Moses, which is a badass name in and of itself, is the site of a nuclear weapons disposal facility. The forces that seized this island, led by a mercenary known as Liquid Snake, have acquired nuclear-capable mecha, Metal Gear Rex, and are threatening the US government with a nuclear reprisal if they do not receive the remains of their legendary mercenary Big Boss within 24 hours. Now, this was the game I picked for this week, and it's part of why I brought some backup with me this week. This is why this is one of the reasons we have Jack on the line, apart from the fact that he is great company to have for a chat. Oh, cheers, mate. We represent, as I was saying off the air, the three kind of uh, ways you can approach Metal Gear fandom. Jack, you were a big Metal Gear fan? I enjoy Metal Gear Solid to a above average degree, yes. And you purport to sort of know what's going on with them. <laughs> as much as any sane, right-thinking man knows what's going on with Metal Gear Solid, yeah. Okay, I enjoy Metal Gear Solid. I haven't a fucking breeze what's going on most of the time. I'm just along for the ride. And then, Mark, kind of, uh, you are going to elaborate, but uh, I get the sense represents a kind of less enthusiastic point of view on the series. I'm going to just get this out of the way now. My main issues with Metal Gear Solid don't actually stem from the original Metal Gear Solid. It kind of starts from MGS2 onwards. With that said, there are a few things about the original MGS that I will discuss at some points that I um, I feel are, are huge glaring flaws that, to be fair, most people even agree with, but because of the positives around the game, they're willing to kind of overlook them. But I will say this, and I'll get it out of the way now. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, in the way that it's written and its script, is a load of hot fucking nonsense. And I can appreciate... <laughs> to a degree, the utter fucking absurdity in the writing, in the script, in just the general plot overall. Um, I I can't remember exactly how many games Kojima was planning on on getting through, but uh, um, at some point he must have just put his hands in the air and said, fuck it, I'm going to do what the fuck I like, and everyone's going to love it still. Um, And that was MGS4. But I will let you continue with your positive glowing fandom for MGS 
So for the second time on a book club feature, I believe, um, I can't remember what the first was, um, but certainly for the second time on the podcast, I need to start the discussion uh, with kind of my views on the Metal Gear Solid series as a whole. Uh, And to do that for the second time, I'm going to have to reference Kevin Smith, who once said when he read the script for Die Hard 4.0, which he made a cameo appearance in, he read a part in the script about John McClane surfing on the wing of a plane or on the wing of a jet. And he read it and kind of went, no, fuck, I'm going to go with it and just kept reading. (laughs) And that's kind of how I approach Metal Gear is that when you're playing Metal Gear Solid games, so frequently something completely unbelievably insane happens and you face an interesting decision and it's either kind of go no fuck it this is weird no this is not what i signed up for and kind of stop enjoying yourself or just go yeah like me i'm along for the ride whatever crazy shit you want to throw at me hideo just bring it i'm good to go here and that is kind of what the metal gear solid series is like as a whole now granted of the lot of them perhaps metal gear solid of the the main four that have been out so far is maybe the least wacky but it's still pretty wacky um for people who haven't played Metal Gear Solid games before, I've got to say that, like, just just be wary before you start playing this game, if you intend to, that it is made by a more unhinged than anybody else um, I have ever seen develop games that cost this much money. Um, I suppose to kind of uh, to kick off the discussion between us, um, kind of first memories of Metal Gear Solid, Jack. First memories of Metal Gear Solid would be just just uh, Snake coming up in that lift into that beautiful snowy landscape uh, and the logo flashing up uh, and and I remember playing that on a demo and and just that whole moment and I saw the base and I knew that I had to infiltrate it. And it was about espionage. And when I was younger, I really liked James Bond. I was just in. Like, the whole imagery of it. And, and it's quite difficult now if you're sort of just getting into the point where you're playing video games, if, you, if you're around sort of 15, 16, to be taken in by the, the visuals of it. But at the time, that whole thing just, it looked fantastic. And it just, it really struck me. Uh, and it just it, it produced a big emotional response in me, I think. And I just I, I remembered that on the demo version, and I was like, I have to go and buy this game immediately. Yeah, um, I think one of the things people again who haven't uh, approached this series yet have to understand that it would seem, based on all evidence uh, from the series, that what Kojima wants more than anything in the world is to make a Hollywood espionage-style movie, right? Uh, clearly influenced by the likes of, yes, say, James Bond and things like that. Um, For a PlayStation-era game, it is incredibly cinematic. Uh, It is one of those stealth games. Like, I, generally speaking, am not a fan of stealth games. Not because um, the kind of the um, functions, the kind of the things you do in the game don't appeal to me, but more because I'm shite at it. Uh, I'm really bad at stealth a lot. Uh, I spent a lot of The Last of Us sprinting past clickers um, when I played it because I am just no good at sneaking around usually. But um, the kind of the, like you said, the kind of the the title sequence, the kind of um, 
the kind of the way the game is treated with this kind of deathly seriousness despite the fact that it's a little silly very reminiscent of james bond um kind of makes it feel like it you know all the games have tactical espionage action on the front and it makes you feel like you actually get the kind of that the heart is racing fast because it is it isn't an easy game either uh no you're solid it it isn't uh it'd be one of the first because like it came out when i was eight years old or nine years old so for a nine-year-old to try and tackle this game it's um it's quite a challenge so you you feel it as you're kind of sneaking around you're kind of like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck am i gonna get spotted am i gonna get spotted uh (laughs) so like kind of it, it was one of my first uh introductions into a very kind of uh adult sort of game now granted uh as it moves on and gets sillier, it has less pretensions towards seriousness. But uh, yeah, for me, it's that I could finally play through what it feels like to be a James Bond or something like that. Like I know we all talk about, and I'm sure we all have great love for um, GoldenEye 007 on the N64. But at the same time, that's not really a tactical espionage game. That is a game able to open a door and empty a clip into a room and then when nobody is left standing, then you take a picture of the uh, blueprints and move on. But uh, <laughs> this is a game where you need to sneak around. Um, and different things that will become hallmarks of the series, like the, the kind of exclamation marks above the guys, the vision cones, uh, using the, the codex scanner, things like that, um, all kind of lend towards this. Like I said, just this seriousness, this kind of like um, actual real feeling of uh, espionage. Uh, yeah, Mark, did, just, you, Mark. Yeah, go on, yeah, Jack. Sorry, I was gonna say just to go back to the um, the exclamation marks and the <laughs> noise. Yes, that every Metal Gear Solid fan will know. I would argue that Metal Gear Solid, the original Metal Gear Solid, especially, has the kind of uh, boxed off, like seclusionary feel of a survival horror game at times. Absolutely, it, it's not necessarily scary. But if you do play the game to the point where you are trying to sneak around and avoid the sight of the vision cones or trying to take down the cameras before they spot you and you hear that, it will literally send shockwaves through your body, especially if you don't know where you've been spotted from as you quickly either try and hide or have to blast your way out of the room to then go and find somewhere to hide to wait until all of the guards can no longer see you. Like, it, it really does feel like a, a cross between quite a few different genres of influence. And I've got to say, at the time when this came out, no one was really doing that. Everyone was making very linear games in terms of, okay, this is a x game so it needs to have all the features that an x game has whereas metal gear solid's just like you know what here's a bunch of ideas and we're going to put them all together and we're going to represent the, the different ideas in the gameplay and the story and the themes featured in the game and it worked gangbusters and you know you were saying about games as art earlier like you yeah. can say what you want about the story but to me this is one of for me growing up, and I'm sure there are people who would say this about SNES games or or anything like that, but this is one of the first games that I played and I was like, right, that is a true piece of revolutionary art. I feel like this is a good place for me to jump in. Um, so, 
I agree with quite a lot of what's been said there, uh, certainly about those moments where you get caught by a guard um, and the tension builds up because you've had the kind of really quiet or no music at all sort of simmering in the background and then that kind of infamous uh, song kind of kicks in and the alarms are going off and your radar starts glaring and all this shit happens. And it, it is, it's very tense, it's very atmospheric. Uh, but that tension and atmosphere uh, is is half built on all of the stuff that you've described, but it's also half built on the controls being fucking garbage and it being completely fucking impossible to take out the guards because you spend four hours trying to figure out how to shoot your fucking gun. And that's my general frustration, um, among other things, is um, up until Ground Zeroes... Was it Ground Zeroes? Was that what it was called? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um the controls have been just completely arse backwards and i've i've never i've never found them intuitive to use and i mean i like dave i don't like stealth games mine is more based around the fact that i get bored by them very quickly because um i'm just more of a kind of get up and go action platformer type um player but i mean i remember the first time i played metal gear solid and for a little while at least, I was taken in by the kind of setting I was in, the just the environment and being about eight, nine at the time. You know, I'd never seen, never played anything like that. And you can even go back and play that original Metal Gear Solid now. And it does certain things, it has a certain quality and charm to it that there are games today that can't replicate that just kind of atmosphere and tension... Um, and there's even later Metal Gear Solid games that I still don't think even replicate, replicate anywhere near what that first one does. Just that area that you're in, um, and just the kind of just with the snow coming down and, and what Snake goes through throughout the game. Just there's a lot there that is to appreciate. But one of my biggest problems I've always had is I think the controls are quite quite terrible. Yeah, um, if I can jump in there at that. Um... I find, like, whenever I've played Metal Gear games, even though they are, obviously, uh, even to me, a bit unruly compared to other kind of uh, similar games, um, I completely understand that the main barrier to entry uh, to this control uh, system, which kind of betrays how great the game can be at times, um, whereas kind of, like, I can see the, um, the mindset in putting kind of every little fucking thing uh, has to have a button and kind of like, you know, this is what this button, blah, blah, blah. I can understand the mindset in doing that, but the same, the end result is that it is a bit of a garbled mess. Now, I've never had a massive problem, like I said, uh, in playing any of these games, but I know I am the exception rather than the rule uh, when it comes to Metal Gear games. And it is a shame that they haven't really hit upon that kind of simplicity. Hopefully they have, they have a little bit with Ground Zeroes and hopefully they will with the Phantom Pain where it's finally the very accessible Metal Gear game. Now, unfortunately, it'll be the fucking last one, and they didn't hit that formula on with the first one. Um, that's a shame. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a shame that more people kind of um, will be run off by the um, the unruly and not actually get to experience the greatness and the incredible silliness that is this game. See, I quite like the controls. My favourite um, aspect of, of the controls, in the sense that with the square button, you can sort of 
hold it down to aim your gun and you get a general idea of where you're aiming and then release it to fire whereas a lot of games and and that sounds silly now of course you can hold a button down to aim and a button and then release a button to fire that's just the the norm or now you have a button that aims and then another button that fires but at the time i don't think there were many games doing that you press a button and, and a bullet came out whereas to me this one gave you a little bit of wiggle room and allowed you time to shoot it now if you're playing it now it probably seems like a backwards control but to me at the time i felt it felt quite intuitive and quite different than other things and for me i quite like mastering a new set of controls in a game like i don't want every game to play the same there is the element of of wanting okay i want to be able to pick this up and play it straight away but i'm quite a strange person in the sense that uh the the key word in the title of the of the game or the the kind of sub title to me is tactical uh i'm very much enjoy anything tactical or anything that you feel like you have to earn the sort of to get to garner like a real great experience out of something you have to gradually work your way up through it because for me part of what i love about video games and, and what puts me in mind to a lot of great games is the struggle you know you're you are this character all the way through the game you're learning what's happening at the same time that they're learning you're learning the controls uh all the way through the game to be able to manipulate them to the point where at the end you've mastered those controls and and then you'd be paying them off to fight the ultimate difficult battle or the ultimate difficult boss in the game and, and i think that it paces itself quite well in that respect but again, I am a fan, so obviously I'm probably a little bit rose-tinted spectacles on that. Mark, as somebody who kind of, uh, like you've already uh, laid out your stall for not enjoying the controls, what would you say to that? That perhaps the um, the fact that the controls are so difficult, it may not be deliberately to do so, but uh, a kind of side effect of the controls being uh, difficult for some people to master is the fact that you get a greater satisfaction uh, which I think was what Jack was hitting greater satisfaction from uh, mastering the game than you would if, say, it had the standard controls of uh, an FPS of the current day. Uh, I I appreciate the sentiment that Jack is going for, but as someone who comes from a games design background, I just prefer. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Controls to throw, just be throw, thrown it on the table here. Intuitive and fucking work and um, playing ground zeros for the first time i felt like there was there was just complete control and if i was to get caught in a situation where a guard spotted me i felt like i could immediately deal with the situation at hand and not have to kind of sit it's like when you have to learn to walk again and you kind of have to put one leg in front of the other it's not just a natural thing at no point playing any of the first couple of Metal Gear Solid games does anything ever feel natural Um, and if that's just on me being lazy to not really invest the time to true I mean to be fair I I mean I've completed Metal Gear Solid 1 and I've unfortunately had the displeasure of completing Metal Gear Solid 2 and both times I just I could never certainly more with MGS 2 I could never by the end of it felt feel like I ever truly had the a full grasp on the controls but with ground zeros within a couple of minutes i had it exactly down and it just felt natural and comfortable see you're talking to a guy that completed mgs2 on european extreme so 
the controls definitely weren't an issue for me in that one either. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, regardless, after uh, 17 years of being uh, released, uh, I don't think uh, Mark's going to see it necessarily uh, Jack's way nor vice versa. So if we move on from the uh, the controls and say... I, I'm interested to start with Mark on this uh, particular aspect of things, uh, but I'll kind of give my own two cents first. And this is on the kind of, shall we call them, the dramatic flourishes of uh, Metal Gear Solid and the series that would follow. Very start. Because it's an absolute crazy shit show, I am a long kind of ridiculous crap is thrown at me. Uh, from the very start, um, it's words at you that as an eight or nine year old you're like yeah sold what's that mech suits espionage nukes yes having all of this um so like i'm sold from minute one and then kind of as it gets on and you're talking about genetic clones and things like that it's getting into weird kind of sci-fi territory but i'm i'm happy enough with it especially kind of as i get older i appreciate that stuff more because i have um a greater appreciation for kind of car crashy weirdness in games, uh, especially relative <laughs> to how I used to when I was smaller. Um, so, Mark, as kind of like the uh, the relative outlier to the two of us, how, what are your impressions of, like I said, the dramatic flourishes of Metal Gear? I've the thing is, and I've spent a lot of time, and I've had many many conversations with people over the years because I've never been able to put my finger on it because I'm a man who enjoys the weird and wonderful and stuff that is surreal and just completely fucking out there. But there are two things that fall into that category that I've never been able to enjoy and I've never understood why. One of them is the Mighty Boosh and the other is Metal Gear Solid. And I can't... Why are we even friends? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to talk about that other one off the air, Mark. (laughs) You can throw anything you want at me. I don't care. I don't find it funny. Um... I think it's... I I can't get past the notion that Kojima is fucking... is taking this seriously, you know? And that anything that comes across as funny or weird or whatever is not so much him put it in there because he's doing it for the purpose of being funny. It's just that he's absolutely out of his mind and it's all to be taken seriously. that's why that's why it's so great at times because like if there was a kind of knowing wink that they knew what was going on that they weren't serious about it it wouldn't be Birdemic is only as hilarious as Birdemic is because Birdemic doesn't know how bad it is you know what I mean? Correct Mark do you like like, Die Hard? Yeah but Die Hard is just great yeah but Bruce Willis thinks it's a a serious action movie and okay you think that Die Hard is great Listen, listen to this Mark Right, Hans Gruber has a crack team of some of the greatest soldiers and technological. I don't know what what's the black guy with glasses like. He's an amazing computer hacker or whatever he is. Geniuses. He has this amazing, and they've been training for months, working over and over on how they're going to infiltrate Nakatomi Plaza. And you know they've got the planning to break all of the six locks, and then. You know, surely someone in the lead up to Die Hard would have said, hey, Hans, what about that seventh electronic lock that we we can't actually unlock? And instead of him revealing his plan, he just went, no, I got this. Ah, I got this. And then when it actually comes to the movie, he's like, no, don't worry about it. It's still going to be fine. Like, how are all those people putting their lives and 
and the fact that they'll be in prison if this goes wrong on the lines of I've got this when all that happens is the FBI cuts the power to the building and, and it allows them in. So at what stage did he think that I've got this was going to be enough of an excuse for all those people to join in? That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm and not, yet that's in I'm, the storyline of Die Hard. I'm not sure how this is applicable to anything I was just talking about. Oh, it's applicable in the sense that you can love something but still be able to see the flaws and the ridiculousness of it. And you can laugh at it and you can enjoy it and you don't have to take it seriously to enjoy it. But if you do take it seriously, there are still elements in there or something there that even though you know it's fucked up, you can enjoy it. There is a difference between a synth electronic lock and a man who is... <laughs> possessed <laughs> by another person because he has his fucking arm or hand or whatever it is. There that is a- makes totally every piece of fucking sense that's ever <laughs> been made in the world to me. And I know- arm plus other man equals original man who owns arm. Dave, am I crazy here or is that just completely I- making sense? There is nothing you can point me to in any Metal Gear game that makes any less sense than the entire existence of the movie Con Air. And if you are going to sit here <laughs> and tell me that Con Air isn't the greatest cinematic masterpiece of our lifetimes, well, I I just don't know what to say to you anymore. I, would, I am with Dave Ryan. I'd have yeah. to dispute your claim on that. And I also, I get as well that I mean, I'm a person who enjoys a form of entertainment that once involved a woman being basically uh, drugged and then taken to a Las Vegas chapel and married while unconscious and also featured her being fucking crucified. And yeah, I I get that. I enjoy wrestling. So for me... Interesting that of all the horrible things that have happened in the history of professional wrestling, that's the one you went for. Uh, well, well I mean... to be fair, Triple H does come out with, oh, do you want to know, not if, but how many times we consummated the marriage. She's acting yeah. like she doesn't know that they're married. Therefore, <laughs> what he did was not only did he marry a drugged <laughs> up woman against her will, but then he not only raped her once, but multiple times and admitted this on national television. But yeah. guys, what you got to understand was he needed to find a way to get to that wedding without being suspended by Vince. And the only way was to be part of the family. Yeah, but getting slightly back on topic. It legitimizes everything. Getting slightly back. <laughs> Completely. It doesn't, on... by the way. I'm not a horrible person. Topic. I get <laughs> that. For me to enjoy that but not enjoy this, it is a bit of a contradiction. I, I get that. And again, it's completely... again, I can't exactly put my finger other than just because I just, I find that the game does take itself seriously. And especially like, especially with a lot of the stuff that goes on in Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, because, and this thing, I do appreciate a lot of what Kojima goes for. And he goes for a lot of stuff that not many other developers will go for. Um, and I appreciate the fact that the Metal Gear Solid series does exist because, you know, he does try things that no one else would have the balls to do. And I've got no objections to that. And there's a lot of stuff he goes into on the second one, which is very meta and explores a lot of East and Western philosophies. And I'm I'm grand with that. I just feel that his general approach to it is in a way that, A, it's in a stealth game, so I don't enjoy stealth games. So it's going to not work with me to begin with. 
but you've got this kind of hard-edged military espionage type thriller game and then you've got this guy who's a fucking vampire and a man who's a fat bloke with a bunch of explosives strapped to him rolling around on roller skates and there's just a juxtaposition that my head will not allow to compute and that's me I don't enjoy fun things in life it's for me to piss and moan about and for you two to enjoy and I have no issues with that yeah but I think like what you're getting at essentially though is that if something you can rejoice and enjoy sorry things that are ridiculous but you can also point out that they're ridiculous and i feel like there's no argument out there uh that's a good argument that doesn't involve the balance of both opinions because i agree with a lot apart from the controls which i i sort of feel comfortable with i would agree with an awful lot of issues you raise up about the thing like for anyone that can't tell the huge overtones of irony i think it's ridiculous that a man's arm means that he possesses another man's body but you know what <laughs> it's a jump that i'm willing to make because i enjoy playing the game and yeah it's john mcclain surfing just... on the wing of the jet exactly <laughs> like, yeah, what it it's is ridiculous but i'm just gonna go with it it's not only jumping the shark, it's teabagging it as you do it. But hey, it doesn't matter because it's just a lot of fun. And I I feel like... Let's, I mean, like, to get back towards actual Murga Solid like, and get into the a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of the game, to me, there isn't a single Metal Gear Solid game that hasn't been set in an absolutely brilliant and immersive environment. I think yeah. the Shadow Moses base is 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 awesome. Like the sort of Russian nuclear feel of it all, and the snow, the isolation that you have there. Uh, I think that's amazing. I I love the uh, the oil struts of the the second game. I mean, for me, the winner by miles, Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. Just that whole jungle setting and and how amazing it looked on PlayStation Two at the time. Oh, and the theme song is just perfect like it's, it's it's incredible and metal gear solid 4 like the whole host of different environments you're you're moving through it's just it's just brilliant like they always manage to get the environment of the game to just a near perfect level and every single yeah. game has been an evolution of that in terms of graphics also in terms of the ways that snake can interact with the environment and just like I don't think that anybody... I feel like people look at Metal Gear Solid um, and if they don't notice the fact that everything looks just absolutely amazing and it probably changed the way that people looked at at game environments, then I think that would be unfair if they're just going to write off the controls or the the nonsense storylines. Yeah, Uh, I think to kind of like... uh kind of dovetail onto what Jack was saying there and to kind of nudge this discussion in the uh, direction of finishing. Um, Something that I've kind of realized about myself uh, that I hadn't so much before uh, in the weeks that we've been doing this podcast is that the thing that drives me to games, that attracts me to games more so than anything, particularly now, um, is atmosphere. This word I keep coming on, I've mentioned it several times throughout this uh, episode and what Jack has hit upon there in his last comments are that the Metal Gear games, if nothing else, if you're going to... um, like 
uh, denounce it for the controls or whatever else that's one thing but the one thing you can't really deny is that they're the metal gear games are expertly a, a proper environment whether it is shadow moses or anything like that it you definitely have the feeling that this is a real world however silly it is and for people like me the ridiculous dramatic stuff that goes on on top of that is just like icing on the cake for me like some people might have sat down and if they're not enjoying that kind of ridiculous drama, they would sit down and they'll have played several hours through a game and they'll get to the point where you find out that your character Snake is a identical genetic clone of Liquid Snake who you're after and that both of you are attempts at cloning Big Boss whose body you're after. Um, and that can be like a little bit head melting for people who to that point thought that it was at least trying to be semi-serious. Uh, but for me, that's like, this is, it's fucking brilliant. I this is great. <laughs> I love this shit. And like I said, the the main thing that keeps me coming back to these games initially want to kind of conquer that uh to me still slightly obtuse control system is that sense of atmosphere, the idea that if I give this a chance, if I come to master these controls, I am going to be completely immersed in what especially at the time felt like a re- fully realized world. Um would you agree with that kind of uh, uh, assessment, Jack? I yeah, I 100% agree with it. I feel like I lost the train of my point a little bit there, but you've you've summarized it nicely because I, I was kind of basically what I was trying to illustrate. Yeah. Um. So I suppose then we'll uh, that those were my closing thoughts anyway. So I'll, I'll shoot it over to Mark. Mark, do you have any closing thoughts on Metal Gear and its legacy? Uh, as I said, I kind of repeat myself here but i do appreciate what the metal gear solid series is and i'm glad it is a series that does exist um there are perfectly valid points to everything that both of you have said about what makes it what it is and why it is uh, a legendary game and i you know i wouldn't argue with that it is it's one of the most infamous games for a reason and it does deserve a lot of the credit and the legacy that it has I the aspects I enjoy more about it are not associated to the actual gameplay. Um, that's always been my biggest drawback, partly due to my own preferences and why I'm enjoying games, and partly due to a lot of the game design choices that are made. But as I said, I'm glad it exists. Um, it's given us one of the most infamous game developers in Hideo Kojima, uh, who you know even like twenty years, thirty years down the line is still regarded for a plethora of reasons as as one of the most famous game designers and you know even now at like whatever age is 50 something um he's still very sought after certainly now with all all the nonsense going on with konami fuck konami fuck konami um with all that said fucking army with all that said metal gear solid is complete nonsense of the highest degree and Whatever side of the line you fall on, that's absolutely fine. I know what side I fall on. I've tried many, many times to really just get myself over that line and and just embrace it for what it is. And I've never been able to do it, but I do enjoy the original Metal Gear Solid. Um, I have completed it. There is a lot that 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 game does that which was fucking revolutionary for the time. Um, There's no you you can't. Even the most hardened person who doesn't like that game, and there's not many of them, it would be impossible to deny it that what that game does, certainly for its time as well, um, as games are making that transition to the 3D environment, 
you know the 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 world that it creates and the immersiveness and as you said the atmosphere there was very very few games that pulled it off at that time and you know there are fucking a number of games that still can't pull it off now in 2015 uh, for a game that came out in like 97 98 that's that's a pretty impressive um kind of mantra that you can hold yeah um do you have anything more to add in jack before we wrap this up i mean there's lots of lots of excellent things about the game that i enjoyed that i can breeze through quickly the the scene in the lift where the the weight's going off and you don't understand why and then you have to equip the uh, thermal goggles to understand that there are four guards in there all of whom are trying to kill you that's brilliant uh i love the fact that during the boss fight uh with psycho and you're just um you have to take the controller out of the ports put them back into the into another port to be able to fight him off i think that's i mean it's crazy but this is pre-internet as well how are you ever going to figure that out that's amazing (laughs) the fact that you have to get meryl's codec number off of the back of the box i think that's really fun and really cool it's just little gimmicky things like that like that the attention to detail in these games is crazy mark you probably say too much attention to detail because the story gets a little bit convoluted but i just i, I love little aspects bit. of it like <laughs> yeah and i love the um i think the boss fight and again you guys are the ex- experts on this but the boss fight with sniper wolf over like a really long protracted area where you have to snipe at each other I I don't really remember anything like that from any games before that to me that feels like a really unique boss fight and it was taken to the ultimate level where you have to fight the end in Metal Gear Solid 3 and you've got to go across like three different giant environments to try and dig out this old man who's, who's sniping you and you're not entirely sure where he is I think that's a cool idea for a boss fight absolutely Loads of awesome little things. Just go and explore Metal Gear Solid because it's it's a fantastic piece of art. Yeah, so uh, just to wrap things up, yeah, basically the reason I wanted to do this around now is that we've got Metal Gear Solid 5 coming out on September 1st. So if you quit your job now, maybe there's enough time for you to play through all the previous uh, four installments. Uh, don't bother really uh, keeping track of the storyline too much because you'll end up like a crazy person with all sorts of diagrams scrawled all over your bedroom walls. Uh, trying to keep track of all of it just kind of like embrace the silliness and just get on with it um yeah it's a series i really enjoy and uh once it comes out uh once the fifth installment comes out on september 1st you'll not see me again for quite some time um so i suppose it's time to wrap up the show and the last thing last bit of business we need to do before we get off here is to throw it over to mark mark you are picking the game for next week yeah so next week will could potentially be the last uh, link to the cast I do for the rest of the year, depending on what my situation is when I get over into China land. Um, so if that is the case, I feel that I can only do this the right way. And next week, I would like to talk about Mega Man 2. I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. I There was no way you were going to say anything else except Mega Man 2. <laughs> Possibly Majora's Mask, but I mean, even that would be too obvious, really. And it would just be me gushing for an hour. Well, Mega Man 2 is going to be that as well, but I, I, I have to leave with that out of my system. You know, it's been a long time coming since we started doing this. Indeed, indeed. 
Okay, so I'll leave it to you. Mark, what can you say about Mega Man 2 for an hour? I'm going to have to tune in and listen. Fucking trust me. I I will find things. I will talk. I want to have dinner at some point. I will talk literal (laughs) step by step. Each step that Mega Man takes through every single level in that game. And every boss and every enemy and every finite detail. Because because I can. Because I must. Okay. Right, <laughs> okay. Leave it to you to wrap things up then. Yeah, thank you for listening. Uh Jack, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and reminds yes, me thank why I'm friends with you. Oh, thanks, buddy. Uh yeah, it's been it's been fun. I probably forgot about five things I wanted to say about Metal Gear Solid, but hey. Believe go and me, play and find out yourself. Believe me, that happens yeah, but... every single week we do this. I come out, exactly. out and think, I really wish I'd brought that up. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it was good for you to find out that I'm st- Hello. Hello. Did my mic die? Oh, you died. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it was uh, amazing. No, it was I just, assume the end it, of that was I'm still alive, and you cut out as you were yes, saying that. It was. Yes, it was. It must be a relief for you to know, Jack, that I'm still alive now. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. The fucking irony that my mic died in the middle of me saying that I'm alive. Exactly, and no one even got to make a portal joke. What a shame. It was there on my head. Ugh. But yeah, um, till next week. Thank you very much for listening. We're on all the good places. Uh, we've we've picked up a little bit in terms of streaming recently. We've done some stuff with Rocket League. Uh, I did. I showed uh, a ridiculously overpowered Binding of Isaac run. Um, as Dave mentioned, he was showing a little bit of everybody's gone to the Rapture. Uh, I don't know what more stuff I will probably do between now and when I leave next Saturday because I've got like just life stuff to do. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for watching, listening, however you partake in this, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. See you later.